right. Thank you. What a blessing. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? I want to ask you to join me, if you will, in Psalms chapter 19 uh, tonight. Psalms chapter 19, page number 607, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I'll read some verses here in just a moment, and we'll more or less just use this as a springboard to jump back in to uh, our series of sermons on this Wednesday night. Psalms chapter number 19. And while you're finding your place there, I do want to enjoy, encourage you to be in church Sunday. Hope you'll uh, pray much for the services, our 8 o'clock service, and then the Sunday school, and then preaching. I think if we, the numbers were right this past week, and I, I say that, I, I know the numbers were right, but I think we were in the neighborhood of 1150 to 1200 that were in church Sunday. So we're kind of inching back up there little by little. I kind of notice about every service or so, we have some of our folks that are slipping back in. Uh, after all this is virus is getting, you know, kind of hopefully getting in the rear view mirror. And uh, so folks are starting to feel maybe a little bit more comfortable about coming back to church. And uh, so we are delighted to see people come to the house of God. Praise the Lord. And uh, so a good day. But pray much for the service Sunday. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Pray for your teacher. Boy, your teacher needs prayer. Please pray for them. And Pray for the preaching and the music and the singing that God would be glorified and most of all that people would get saved. And that's the, that's the bottom line and we sure want to see that happen. All right, Psalms chapter 19. Look, if you will, at verse number 7. We've been talking for some time about, about uh, the Word of God. And I want to do that again tonight. I'll read these verses here. Let's have prayer and we'll get started. Father, would you please bless the Word tonight, these words that we'll go over here in this service. I pray that you'd help us with them and just speak to our hearts tonight from the Bible, the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll be looking in Psalms chapter 19 and verse number 7, the Bible says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, of course, you can help but notice as we worked our way through those three or four verses there how that the Bible, the Word of God, just kept coming up over and over again. And, of course, it's known by several, several different phrases. Verse 7 talks about the law of the Lord, and then it talks about in verse 7 the testimony of the Lord. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord. Uh, verse 8, the commandment of the Lord. And then the verse 9, the judgments of the Lord. All different names that are given to the Word of God. Now, as we look look at these verses, we come to understand, number one, that the Word of God is perfect because the Bible said there in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know, a perfect God can only have a perfect Word. And I never, I never want to be guilty of trying to place question marks where God places exclamation points. I don't want to be a preacher that raises doubts. I want to be a preacher of assurance. And I just want to tell you the Word of God is perfect. Amen. It is perfect from beginning all the way to end. So the Bible, the Word is perfect. Then if you look again at verse 7, we're told the Word of God is sure. It is sure. It's dependable. It is reliable. You can always count on the Word of God. Look at verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The Bible is dependable. It is reliable. Then if you look at verse 8, we also come to understand that the Bible is right. Look at verse 8. The Bible said the statutes of the Lord 
are right. Now, I know our Bible goes against the, uh, the culture that you and I are living in. But let me just tell you this. If it ever comes to a question of is the culture right or the Word of God right, let me just tell you, the Word of God is always right. You know, it doesn't matter what our world is saying, what society says, what the culture is saying in our day. Always remember the Bible is right. You know, I tell you what, in our country today, there's a lot of stuff being called into question. They tell us there are no more absolutes. But I want to tell you, this Bible is absolute. Absolutely right. It is right. Then in verse 8, we find also that the Word of God is pure. And when it comes to the word pure, it means it's clear, it's understandable. You know, if you'll just uh, get into the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture, you'll understand what the Bible has to say. Of course, those of us that are saved, we have the author of the Bible living in our heart. And when you got the author of the Word of God living in your heart, he'll give you clear direction as to what the Bible is saying. Look again at verse 8. The Bible said this, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening. It gives wisdom. The Bible will give you wisdom. I've told you this before, but it's amazing how many questions that I can answer on Jeopardy just because I've read my Bible a time or two. I mean, the Bible, man, I could probably go in there and win some money. I don't know. I don't know. If the categories was right, I probably could win some money on Jeopardy. You know why? Because the Word of God gives great wisdom. It really does. It enlightens your eyes. And then verse number 9, and also we come to understand the Bible is true. You know something? The Word of God tells us the devil is a liar, but the Bible is true. Bank on the Bible. Well, for several weeks, we have been making our way through some of the great words of the Bible. It's a series of messages that I've entitled, entitled Bible Words Every Child of God Should Know. And of course, it's based, uh, messages based on the uh, certain prominent words found numerous times throughout the Word of God that you and I ought to be acquainted with as we live out these last days. Now, tonight we come once again, we're nearing the end of our alphabet. And what I've tried to do is use our English alphabet to work down through a list of great words of the Bible. Last week, we were on the letter U. And we looked at some of the great words in our Bible that begin with the letter U. And we looked at the word unity, and we looked at the word unbelief, we looked at the word unfeigned, and we looked at the word unction. And all of those are good Bible words that begin with the letter U. Now, tonight we move to the 20, if I got them counted right, the 22nd letter of our English alphabet, and we come to the letter V, V, the letter V, as in Vic, the letter V. And just like last week, we saw that there are no words in our Bible that begin, uh, no books of the Bible that begin with the letter U. And this week, once again, we find there are no books in our Bible that begin with the letter V. No books in the Bible that begin with the letter V. And then I've told you this before. There are over 3,200 men that are named in the Bible. But of those 3,200 men, there are only four men in our Bible whose name begins with the letter V. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, before I even mention some of these people's names, uh, they're not very prominent people. I guarantee you when I start talking about some of these men's names, nobody in this church laid in a bed last night and thought, I hope I come to church tomorrow night and the preacher mentions this old boy I'm going to talk about because they're not some of the more prominent people of our Bible. But first of all, look at this one right here. This old boy's name is Vopsy. Now, how would you like to have a name like that? Vopsy. You say, who in the world 
was Vopsy. Well, let me tell you this. He was a dad in our Bible, okay? He had a boy. His boy's name was Nabi. Nabi. Now, again, I tell you, that clears the whole thing up, doesn't it? Vopsy had a boy by the name of Nabi. But when I tell you where Nabi is mentioned in the Bible, it'll, it'll help you because Vopsy was from, the, was from the tribe of Naphtali. And he had a boy by the name of Nabi. And Nabi was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent out to a spy on the land of Canaan. That tell you the story now. Vopsy had a boy by the name of Nabi. Then we come across this old boy right here. His name was Vashni. Now again, Vashni. Who in the world was Vashni? Well, we know who his daddy was. His daddy was a great man in our Bible by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a great prophet. He was a judge, the last judge, and also a great prophet in the land of Israel. And he had three boys, and his firstborn boy was named Vashni. So there's Vopsy, and then there's Vashni. And then i got to tell you about this old boy right here. Boy, try to say that five times real quick. That name is Vajezathar. And let me tell you, you may not recognize Vajezathar. I can't even say it. You may not recognize that boy's name right there, but you will his story. His daddy was a man by the name of Haman. Haman hated Mordecai and all the Jews. And Haman wanted Mordecai to be put to death. He couldn't stand Mordecai nor Mordecai's people. Haman is a type of the devil in our Bible. He hated the people of God and he hated the Savior, the Lord Jesus, or in that case, he hated Mordecai. Well, the Bible said in an amazing turn of events that Mordecai was actually hanged upon the very gallows that he had built with the intentions of hanging Mordecai on. But not only did they hang, Mordecai, hang Haman on those gallows, gallows, they also hanged all of Mordecai's boys. I'm sorry, all of Haman's boys on those gallows as well. He had ten boys. His ninth-born son was Vajezathal. That's who he was in the Bible. So we may not recognize the names, but we recognize the stories. There's one other boy, I didn't even write his name down, one other man in the Bible whose name begins with the letter V. As far as the women go, there are only 188 women that are named in our Bible, and only one of those ladies' names with the name begins with the letter V. You probably got this one. Her name was Vashti. Now, you might be a little bit more familiar with her than you were those boys, because Vashti was a wife. She was actually married to a king by the name of Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus was the king of Persia. And Persia was such a vast empire that Ahasuerus had 127 princes or presidents that helped him to oversee the vast empire of Persia. At this particular time, the nation of Israel has become the captives or the slaves or the servants of the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire defeated the Babylonian Empire. And since Israel was the slaves and the servants of Babylon, when they were defeated by Persia, they actually became the slaves and the servants of the Persian Empire. Well, Ahasuerus had 127 men that were under him, but he had one wife, and her name was Vashti. 
And one time on one occasion, this old king threw a great big party in the palace. He invited all the 127 presidents that helped him to rule over the empire of Persia to come, and they threw this big old party, and they all got drunk, every last one of them. They were as high as a Georgia pine. Well, in the midst of that drunken debauchery, that drunken depravity, more, uh, uh, Ahasuerus sends for Vashti to come over there and to, par and to parade her womanly charms in front of them drunken politicians. Sounds like Washington, don't it? Just a whole lot like it. And Vashti, the wife of Ahasuerus, Thank God had a little bit about her. And she said, I'm not about to come over there and show myself off to a bunch of drunken politicians. Here's what she said about it. Esther 1 verse 12, But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlain. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned within him. Can I tell you this? You know what he eventually did to her? He divorced her because she wouldn't come. And that's where Mordecai and Esther come into the story. But thank God for a woman that's got a little bit about her that's not going to come over there and show herself off in the front of a bunch of old drunken eyes. Bloodshot, red, drunken eyes. Vashti said no. Thank God for people who know to say no. Let's talk about some of the places in our Bible. Let me, let me tell you right now all the places in our Bible that begin with the letter V. All right, with all that out of the way now, you know, there's not one town, there's not one place in our whole Bible that begins with the letter V. Now, there are some valleys that are mentioned in our Bible, valleys, but they're named something else. Uh, the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of Barakah. There's some valleys that are mentioned in our Bible. There's some villages that are mentioned in our Bible. But there are no places in the entire Word of God that begin with the letter V. So I got to tell you, now I'm struggling. I really am. But I have no fear. I put enough words together to come up with a message tonight. Let's look at some great words in our Bible that begin with the letter V. Let's start with this one right here. This is an obvious one. Let's start with this one. What about the word victory? The word victory. Now, that's a good Bible word. Let me tell you a little bit about the word victory. It's mentioned only 12 times. Now, you would think it would be mentioned a whole lot more, but it's mentioned only 12 times in the whole Bible. Six of those times are in the Old Testament, and you smart thing, you, you done figured it out. Six of those times were in the New Testament as well. And here are some synonyms for the word victory. When we talk about victory, we're talking about triumph. We're talking about winning. We're talking about conquest. We're talking about superiority. We're talking about success. We're talking about crushed. We're talking about overpowered. We're talking about subdued and vanquished and overcome. Now, you choose any of those words that you want to, and then I want to tell you this. That's exactly how God intends for you and me to live our lives as a child of God. God wants you and God wants me to have victory. Now, I didn't say God wants you and me to have misery. I didn't say that God wants you and me to live in defeat. But God wants you and me to live in victory. And guess what? God wants you and me to live in joy. That's God's will. God, Jesus didn't come into this world and die on the cross so that you and I could live in misery. In fact, the Bible said, Jesus said, I am come, John 10, 10, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's that victorious life. God wants you and me to have victory. 
Now, I get it. I'm just like you, man. We are being hounded by the devil and his demons. I get all that. We're being pulled upon constantly by the world, and if all that isn't bad enough, we all got the stinking flesh. And when you got the world, the flesh, and the devil all put together, that's a recipe for disaster. And there's not a one of us in this room tonight that don't know somebody whose life has become a disaster because they followed after the world, the flesh, and the devil. But can I tell you something? That's not God's will for us. It's God's will for us to live in victory. You know, in the Old Testament, the word victory is often used to describe the aftermath of a battle. For instance, we read this in the Old Testament, but he, and by the way, his name was Shammah. Shammah stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great, there's the word now, victory. In the Old Testament, the word victory is used to describe the aftermath of a, of a battle, and a great victory is won. In the New Testament, however, we read the word victory in a little bit of a different sense because we understand we're not fighting physical battles. At least I hope we aren't. We're fighting more of spiritual battles in our life. You know, the Bible said in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 12, we wrestle not with, uh, against flesh and blood. Our, the, 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 the adversaries, the, the, the uh, opponents that we face in our day are not some that we can see. We can't feel them as such. They're not flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You and I are involved in just as great a battle as any of those battles in the Old Testament, and yet our enemy is unseen, but he's not unreal. We have an enemy. And it's God's will for you and I, just as Shammah stood in the midst of that ground and fought against the Philistines and defended it and won a great victory. God through him wrought a great victory. God intends for you and me to stand for God, to live for God in these days, and to wrought a great victory in our lives over the world and the flesh and the devil, even to this very day. Victory. Let me show you a couple of good verses in our Bible with the word victory in it. Look at this one. But thanks be to God which giveth us, there's that word, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that, that text is talking about victory over death, but thank God there's more to it than just victory over death. There's victory over the demons and victory over defeat. Hey, we can have victory as a child of God. Look at this good verse right here. It says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory. I mean, we can have victory over the world. The victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We, against all the struggles, all the battles, all the bondage, all the addictions, God wants you and me to have victory. There's nothing that comes against us that we can't overcome. Nothing. I know I'm like you, man. I get down, get defeated, and think, oh, God, it's the end. Man, might as well throw in the towel, uh, cut out the lights, crank the bus, stick it in the freezer. It's over. But God said nothing, nothing that comes against us can overcome us. We are more than conquerors. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Watch this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes through this long list. He says, shall tribulation. Troubles can't do it. Distress can't do it. Persecution can't do it. Famine or nakedness or peril or sword, all those needs, they can't do it. In fact, a couple of verses later, he says this, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. That's victory, friend. 
And God don't want me and you to live in defeat and in misery. God wants us to live in victory. We can overcome. We can crush, subdue. We can overpower. We can triumph. Hey, we can, we can win over anything that the devil, the world, or the flesh puts in our life. But the only way we can do that is through and by the power of Jesus Christ. The word victory. God wants to. Do you have victory tonight? Do you have victory? I mean, buddy, are you winning the war? Are you saying, oh, preacher, unto God. War, are you kidding? I lost 10 years ago. I've been waving the white flag of surrender uh, for a long time. I've given up. Don't give up. God's will is for us to live in victory. So the word victory, what a good word. Then there's another word I want to talk about. It begins with the letter V, and that's the word vigilance. That's a good, a good Bible word. The word vigilance means this. It means to be awake. It means to be conscious. It means to be watchful. It means to be on guard or to be alert. And boy, that ought to be our attitude as we live out these last days. We are constantly reminded in Scripture to be awake. Punch somebody next to you and say, wake up. That's right. I know you're tired. I know it's been a long day. But wake up. You know, one of the things that's happened to us, unfortunately, is the devil has rocked the church to sleep. That's right. We are constantly told in our Bible, hey, wake up. Look at this. Roman, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, be awake, be vigilant. Look at this verse right here. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I'm telling you, the devil has rocked the church to sleep in our day. I think about the Lord's disciples the very night that he was arrested. If there was ever a time those disciples needed to be alert, they needed to be conscious, they needed to be awake, it was in that hour and at that place. In fact, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and took them into the midst of the garden. He said, okay, y'all stay here. Watch and pray. And he went a little further, about a rock's throw away, and he fell down and started praying. A little bit later, he came back, and guess what? In history's greatest hour, those three men were fast asleep. I'm telling you, if there's ever been a day that God's people ought to be awake, it ought to be in these days in which we live. But I'm afraid too many of us are like the fictitious character, Rip Van Winkle, who fell asleep when Henry VIII was on the throne of England. And when he woke up 25 years later, a revolution had taken place. And George Washington was the president of the United States. He slept through an entire revolution. You know, I'm afraid in our day, too many of us, and I said us, have been rocked to sleep by the devil. Preachers stand up, shout to the top of their lungs, warning us, telling us, and people sit in their chair and think, what's he so upset about? Why is he so excited about that? Why can't he just leave us alone once in a while? You know what's happened? They have been rocked to sleep by the devil. That's exactly right. You know, while we have been sitting in our churches asleep, boy, the devil has just took our nation over. Can I tell you something? You may tell you why homosexuality has made such inroads in these days because those who support it are called activists. You know what that tells me? They're active. Man, they're pounding. They're, they're hammering. They're out there pushing their agenda. They're out there. Why in the world have we got such things as we've got on TV? Men kissing and women. Under God. I mean, how does... I'd rather kiss a mule in the mouth. 
I mean, unto God. What in the world? But that, that is so, so prevalent in our society today. You say, preacher, what happened? They've been actively pushing that agenda while you and I have been sitting in our churches. <laughs> Asleep. You know, the Bible said this. Look at this verse right here. Here's a good word where the word vigilance is. A bishop, a pastor, must then be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, awake, conscious, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. Look at this verse right here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he made of our vigilance. God's people ought to be vigilant. We ought to have our antennas up. Buddy, we ought to have our radars on. Buddy, we better be careful. We're in a world that's against us. We're facing a real live devil that's trying to destroy us. We ought to be awake and conscious and vigilant, the Bible said. Every time I think about that, you know where we live at? We are inundated with deers. I mean, we got, deer, we got deers everywhere up there. You ought to see my gardens. They look like war zones. Bob wire fence. I mean, I've got grenades strapped to it where to pull the pin, blow the deer up if they get near it. I mean, it looks like a war zone around there. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to keep those deers. But have you ever noticed a deer before? Least little old thing out of the ordinary happens. I mean, they're there eating clover, and believe me, I've got plenty of clover. Do y'all have clover? I got, if I don't mow my yard, it looks like it snowed. I got clover. Deer love clover. And they just come stand around in the yard. And I mean in the early morning hours especially, you, you open the blinds and there are those deers. But when they, I don't know what they do, but when the blinds come open, it's like they're just grazing away. When the blinds come open, they go. You know what that, you know what that is? That's vigilance, friend. A twig snaps. Hey, least little old noise out in the wood. A leaf ruffles on the ground. They're vigilant. Buddy, I'm telling you, as God's people, we ought to be exactly like that. Buddy, we got to be conscious. We got to be awake. And I know I'm preaching to a bunch of sleeping saints tonight. But I just want to tell you, buddy, we better wake up before it's too late. Too many of us, like old Cain, are dwelling in the land of Nod. Vigilance. Third word. I want to spend some time on this one. Vision. The word vision. That word or some form of it is found 97 different times throughout the Word of God. And usually it refers to how God spoke to people. God spoke to people in visions. You know, back in, uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, we're told that God used a variety of ways to speak to people. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So when you read through the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we find God used a variety of ways to speak to people. He would use prophets, as that verse said, or, or he would speak to people through dreams. Joseph had some dreams. But then occasionally God would just show up in a, in a vision to people. Probably something similar to that of a dream, but a vision was a way that God spoke to people. The first time in the Bible the word vision appears... It's in Genesis 15, 1, and the Bible said, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. First time in the Bible, the word vision appeared, and it's used in a way, that, in a manner, how God spoke 
two people. God spoke two people through a vision. Now, I happen to believe in these New Testament times, now that we have a completed Bible, God chooses rather to speak to us today through the Bible other than dreams or visions. Can I have an amen? I, I had a lady one time that come to me and she said, uh, here's what I dream, preacher. Give me the interpretation. And, of course, I was very kind, and I said, ma'am, I have no idea. Down underneath me, I was, I was thinking to myself, you probably had some mustard sardines and some sour pickles before you went to bed. That's what you had that vision over. But you know something? God did. I'm not denying that. In time past, God spoke through visions. You know, if somebody ever comes up to you and tells you something like this, I have had a fresh revelation from God. Go to your Bible. Because if that revelation cannot be backed up by the Word of God, discount it. Don't believe it. It's not true. But I'm telling you something, friend. God gives us revelation through the Word of God. God speaks to us through the Bible. If it cannot be backed up by the Bible, dismiss it. It is not from God. I've been, I watched this thing. You know that lady that killed her children and that, the, I can't remember, I don't even know what her name was now, but she got caught up in that Mormon outfit and man, they were, this guy was having all these visions about the end times and, and then she up and killed her children and killed her husband and he killed his wife so they could get married and they stayed over. You remember the story? I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. You probably been saw that. They went over to Hawaii and stayed there and they were both prophets and they were both deity. Uh, God's spirits dwelt in them and I mean, man, all that. Can I tell you something. That's so ridiculous, it's unbelievable. So ridiculous, it is un... If it cannot be substantiated by the Bible, I don't know what you get out of the Book of Mormon. There ain't no telling what you can get out, but I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about God's infallible Word. Buddy, if it's, if it's from God, it's in this Bible right here. And if it's not in this Bible, it's not from God. I'm just telling you, man, look to the Bible, the vision. God spoke to people. But you know, sometimes in the Bible, the word vision was used in the manner of perception, like having foresight or having a desire. For instance, look at this verse right here. It says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, what is a vision? Well, a vision is not idealism. It's not like, man, I got a great idea. That's not vision. It's not optimism. Or it's not enthusiasm. A vision is not seeing what God can, uh, what we can do for God. A vision is seeing what God can do through us. I'm afraid as a church in the 21st century, we've lost our vision. We don't understand what God can do and wants to do through us. I read this the other day. See if you don't agree with this. It said this, the 21st century church is like a vehicle careening down the road at breakneck speed. It's really a danger to people because everybody in that speeding vehicle called the church, they're all fixated on dome light issues. Here's what it said. Some are fighting over who sits where. Some are fighting over who gets the window seat. Others are fighting over who's going to drive. Still others are fighting over it's too hot or too cold, while others are fighting on what we're going to have on the radio. And we have forgotten that the purpose of the car 
is to move down the road. And tragically, we're so fixated on dome light issues that we have forgotten to turn the headlights on. And we're driving down the road in a darkened world and we don't even have our headlights on because we're so concerned about the dome lights in the car. Man, a lot of people don't understand what is the church. What's so sad about it is many people have never known what the purpose of the church is to start with. We, I, we're just not here to meet, eat, greet, and step on feet. That's not the purpose of the church. It's not just here for us to meet or to greet or to eat or to step on feet. The purpose of the church is to be a hospital for sinners and not a, not a museum for saints. The purpose of the church is to reach out and bring people in to the family of God. The purpose of our church is to be all that God wants us to be, to have all that God wants us to have, and to do all that God wants us to do. That purpose needs to be discovered by some and rediscovered by others. And then get a vision to fulfill that purpose. What God wants to do through us. I heard about this church one time, and on the back of the wall of that church, so the pulpit on the back wall where the front door was, as you walked out of the church, they had a big old saying on the back of that wall, which was that verse, where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, they couldn't keep a pastor. I mean, they could not keep a pastor. It just seemed like one would come, he would go, he would come, he would go. He would bring in new ideas. He'd want to do things. Man, they were just set in their ways. They were just steeped in tradition. I mean, man, they weren't going to come out of that no matter what. And so the last pastor that they had, he stayed about six months. And uh, uh, he stood up before the church. They battled him on everything, wouldn't go along with him on anything, and were just content with the, they, the way things were. So he got in the pulpit and he resigned, walked out the back door, and when he closed the door, the W fell off on the word where, and the sign was left to say, here there is no vision, and the people perish. If we don't get back to rediscovering what our purpose is, I get it. I'm like you. COVID's come. I understand all that. I get all that. Can I tell you something? I was thinking about this coming over to church tonight. I'll be through here in a minute. But can I tell you something? I, I don't want to, I don't ever want to stay home and watch church on a computer. I don't want to do that. Not, not, now, don't, before you be critical, I, I, I don't mean that critical. I'm just saying I know me. I could get used to that. I know how I am. I could get settled into that routine. And that could become my way of life. And God never intended for me. And I thank God we had that during the days of COVID. So we could maintain some contact. And, 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 and I thank God we had it. But can I tell you something? God never has chosen to bless people who stay at home and watch church on a computer. I just want to say one more time, don't be mad at me, but if you do, it's okay. I love you anyway. There's going to have to come a time when we start trusting God again. If, he's, if I'm going to trust Him to save me throughout all of eternity, I'm going to have to trust Him to get me through whatever this world's going through at that particular time. Here there is no vision. I don't want to do that. 
I thank God folks are coming back to church now. We don't want to do everything we can to make you feel safe. And I'm glad you're here. But I just, I don't want to settle into that rut. I don't want to settle into that routine. When we go on vacation, I don't, I ain't staying there. I love our church, but I ain't watching that program. You know why? I may come back home to start watching it. I may pipe my sermons in. Y'all get me a camera and bring it up to my house and I'll sit there with my pajamas on. I'll get lazy. I know me. I'll get lazy. And I want to start doing that. And I, that ain't God's plan for my life. That is not God's plan for my life. Can I say this? That's not God's plan for anybody's life. God's never chosen to bless a computer. God chose to bless the church. But we got to get a vision of what God wants to do for us and through us again. I thought about other words. I thought about the word vessels and vows and vain and vengeance. But I want to close with this word, and that's the word visit. Because that word visit in the Bible is synonymous with the word revival. You read through the Bible and you find out people when they prayed, they begged God to visit them. Look at this verse right here. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. This is Psalms 80. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and do what? Visit this vine. That's, that's why we got... We, here, here we are. We, got, we need victory. We need vigilance. We need vision. But boy, I tell you, more than anything, we need a visit. Look at this verse. Man, these are scary verses right here. Watch this. When he was come near, this is Jesus, he beheld the city, speaking of Jerusalem, and he wept over it. And the Bible say, say, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. Hold it. Go back. That verse is simply saying, boy, if you'd have just known what God wanted to do. Man, if you'd just known the, the potential that was here, what God was going to do, if you'd just known that. And then he goes on to say this, For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round about, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee, leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy... And then there it is. Jesus said God wanted to do so much here. Man, I was here. The power of God was here. Uh, the Son of God was here. God wanted to do something in this nation. God wanted to do something in this land. But you missed it. You didn't even realize... That was the time of your visitation. I'm persuaded to believe, ladies and gentlemen, that if we're going to see anything done in these last days, we're going to have to have a visit from outer space. And I'm not talking about aliens neither. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what they're doing in the alien realm in their day? You ever read that stuff? The alien realm? Uh, all that's going on and they're discovering this Martian and that Martian. And, and I mean, man, all that stuff's going on. I'm not talking about that kind of a visit. I'm talking about a visit from another world. We need to pray, oh God, visit this vine. Visit this place. I don't want to talk about what might have been. I don't want to talk about what has been. Hey, it's all about what's going on right now. Would you join with me and pray, God, visit this vine. Let's say those words together. Number one, victory. Number two, number three, number four. Man, let's pray for a visit. Let's pray for a visit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight.